I recently attended a conference where there was a gentleman speaking to each and every one of us about the stress that people in our culture and society deal with every single day. And during this session that I was, was in, he spoke to us about stress and many things that contribute to it. And one of those things being the number of important decisions that we make. And how many of you know we all make a lot of important decisions? Now, one of the things I want you to help me with today is I want you to uh, uh, not hesitate to say amen. So let me hear you say amen. amen. And I, I won't, don't want you to hesitate to say hallelujah. So everybody say hallelujah. Feel free to do that in the service. Uh, you do that to me, that's like saying sick him to a bulldog. I'll, I'll be in there with you and I'll preach. And everybody say amen to that. And here's the statement that this gentleman made. He said, with our fast-paced culture and technology being where it is, our generation makes more intense decisions today than our great-grandparents made in one year. In a single day, we make more decisions, more important decisions today than our great-grandparents made in a single year. Now, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of things going on. Would you agree with that? What does this mean to us this morning? It means that because life is full of burdens or stress every day, life can easily become full of stuff. Look at your neighbor and just say stuff. It can just become full of stuff. I'd like to call them this morning struggles or burdens that we carry and burdens that can come from any area of our lives. But today I want us to see that Christ is the liberator of that. Let me say amen. Over the past several weeks, Pastor Josh has been talk, taking us through a summer journey of some of our favorite passages of Scripture. And with all of the stuff that we sometimes carry, even in the summer, I'd like to bring another favorite passage of Scripture to the discussion that we've been carrying this summer. So however you have your uh, Bible with you today, whether you have a pad, do you have a phone, you have something that bleeps or toots, Whatever you have this morning, you have a hard copy, whatever you have. Matthew chapter 11, I want to turn your attention there this morning. And I want to look at another famous passage of Scripture, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But we see here that Jesus is speaking to a group of people after he has just answered some disciples who had come to him from John the Baptist with a question from him. And here we see it in verse 3. Look at it with me as we're going to backtrack for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3, here's the question. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? At this time, we see that John the Baptist was in prison. He was facing stuff. Look at your neighbor and say stuff. He was facing stuff and wondering if his life was in vain. He believed that he was on the right track. He had been led by the Holy Spirit that the one who was to follow him would come and that the, he would see the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and John the Baptist did. But we see that even in the midst of this, because life had gotten hard, John the Baptist is questioning whether or not he's doing the right thing. 
Jesus gives him this clear answer as you look at verses four through six. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And then Jesus goes on later in this chapter to make a powerful statement as you look down at verse 27. He says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What is he saying? Christ is saying here that he is in charge of all things. Anybody believe that today? Say it with me. He is in charge of all things. He's God. And more importantly this morning, he's the God of our stuff. Our issues, our problems, our lives, the things that go on on a daily basis, good and bad, it makes no difference. God is the God of our stuff. And then he extends each of us this powerful invitation. And it's my most favorite passage of scripture in this book. And here it is, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say the next word, I'll give you rest. How many say this morning, that sounds good. How many of you like to sleep in? I like the way you're helping me shout this morning. How many of you like to sleep in a little? Not all the time, but every once in a while on a good day, you say, you know, I like to sleep in. Now, how many of you would say sleeping in is seven o'clock for me? Right? Yeah, I got it. How many say sleeping in? I can sleep in till noon. Man, that's a gift if you can do that. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you what? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. Why? Watch this. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can God, how can our God make an invitation like this? How can he say that he is the God of all of our stuff? What gives him the right to lay claim to that? If we're willing to receive the invitation, how is it that God can say that he's the God of all of our stuff? To understand this, there's some things that we must know. And here's the first one. God never created us to have burdens in the first place. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, then why do I have all of these burdens? Well, understand and go back with me for just a moment that God never intended for us to carry burdens. We were never created that way. Did you hear what I just said? We were never created that way. We were created when we decided to take, or we, we created this whenever we decided to take life on ourselves. So I want to take a trip with you this morning. How many of you like a good trip? We're going to go all the way back to the garden, the Garden of Eden this morning. Go all the way back with me. 
How many of you know the world is right? The world is good. The world is pure. There's no issues on the planet. We see that everything is the way that it was originally created. Go back with me if you would. Much of the way of life before the fall in Genesis chapter 3, it's a bit murky. There's little that we know. There's just a couple of chapters in this 66-book volume of the Bible that we have that deals with creation. But just in those couple of chapters, we learn some interesting things. We don't know everything about Adam and Eve. We don't know everything that happened. We don't know what life was like for them when they were first created. We know that there wasn't sin. But there are some very clear images that we can anchor to, and I'm going to give you a few of those this morning. God created everything, including man, different from the way that we see it today. Everything was perfect. Now, we may not know fully what that is, And in your wildest dreams this morning, think of a perfect world. And how many of you know that when we do that, we're getting close? Everything was perfect. And you say, well, what do you mean by perfect? How many of you know there were no mosquitoes? You say, how do you know that? I believe mosquitoes are a part of the curse. Anybody with me? There were no ticks. There were no flies. And there was one snake. Somebody come on. Part of the curse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, listen to what the Bible says. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to its kind, all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their kind. And then hear this phrase, and God saw that it was good. What was that? Perfect. It was perfect in every single way. How do we know this? Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, somebody say tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of knowledge, good evil. Two trees we see him placed in the middle of the garden. And in these two trees, have you ever wondered, why did God do this? Why? Why the tree of the life and tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why these two trees? Hear me this morning. These two trees represent two distinct, different ways of life. One was superior, the tree of life. It was perfect. It represented the perfect way of life, the current way of life, Adam and Eve's way of life. The other one was inferior, burdensome, troublesome. The tree, listen to the term of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why do we need to know about evil when everything's perfect? It was this second tree, this second way of life that God said to never eat of. Don't partake of it. Don't participate in it. From the day that you eat, you will die and begin to die. And they did. And the tree of life represents life with God. As you see Adam and Eve in the short synopsis we have of the Gospels or of the book of Genesis, we see that work was enjoyable. How many of you know that is funny? Work was enjoyable. It was not burdensome. Why? It's not a burden. The physical climate of the planet was pleasant. Man was in charge of the world that God gave him. 
Man enjoyed daily intimacy and personal, personal communication with God. We see that God every day came down and fellowshiped and visited with Adam and Eve and had great fellowship with them. Could you imagine every day experiencing the physical, literal presence of Almighty God? Everything was what? Perfect. But the way of the tree of knowledge of good and evil came into play. Man chose to experience life without God through decisions and disobedience and eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and experiencing its way of life. And listen to what God said when they disobeyed. Look at Genesis chapter 3. It says this, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree from which I commanded you. Don't look at your wife right now and say it's your fault. Don't do that. I know what you're thinking, men. Don't do it. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. And listen to these words, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. What is that? How many of you know that's hard work? He says, it will produce thorns and thistles. In case you didn't know, yes, thorns are a part of the curse. Somebody was going, I knew it. That's why I believe mosquitoes and ticks are a part of the curse, right? Come on. He says, you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since From it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Listen to what I'm telling you. On this day, burdens were created. Man decided to live the life of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and burdens were created. Life became hard. Thorns became the norm. Man chose a life without God, and God revealed that this this life would be full of unpleasant stuff. But here's the good news I have for you this morning. God in his mercy didn't leave it there. Come on, somebody help me this morning. God's original intention was for us to never bear burdens. God's desire was for each of us to experience the joy of a relationship with him. And so God makes the first move, and he makes a bold move towards us. Secondly, we see it today. God came to this earth himself to overcome our burdens. I want you to fast forward with me. We're on this trip today. Fast forward with me to another day in time, the day God places himself on another tree, For the purpose of bearing the weight of every man's burdens, every man's stuff. But hear me, not just once, for all time. The prophet foretold that this was going to happen. The prophet Isaiah comes onto the scene in his book and tells us what's going to happen on the day of the cross. And Isaiah renders it this way. Listen to it. He was despised, speaking of Christ. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of, listen to the words, sorrows. And familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Come on now. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are what? We are healed. This is God stepping on the scene and saying, I can do something about your stuff. 
This is God stepping on the scene and saying, you don't have to carry sufferings alone. You don't have to deal with sorrows anymore. Transgressions don't have to be something that you try to get through on your own. I'm here. And it shows us that God the Father put the weight of all our stuff in one single moment on Christ in time. We see it in the garden. It's why Christ sweated great drops of blood. The Father turned his back. He forsook him. He became the sacrifice that paid once and for all the cost of all our stuff. And what happened sealed the deal. What happened next was the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history. Three days later, somebody say three days He paid for us going the way of the knowledge of good and evil, the way of burdens, and he conquered our greatest enemy. He conquers death. Now, how many of you like to die? Some of you are going, I don't know. I've never been through it before. I understand. How many of you say none of us have ever been through it before? But it bothers us, doesn't it? We pay lots of money for live pills, right? Why? Because of death. There's concern there. We look at it. We're, 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 it. There's issues for us. But hear this. Three days after the cross, after he dies, God does something amazing. He rises again from the dead. Now, it's one thing to rise again from the dead. It's another thing to tell everybody that you're going to do it and the number of days that you're going to do it in. That's kind of like watching some type of uh, America's Got Talent in, in like hyper mode, right? For someone to get on and say, okay, I just want you all to know today I'm going to die. How many of you know that would be an alarm? And I'm going to die, but you know what? Hey, in three hours, I'm going to come back to life. How many of you know everybody would stick around to see what was going to happen? Primetime television would be at its finest. <laughs> But we see that God comes on the scene and says, I'm going to suffer for all mankind. I'm going to die three days later. I'm going to rise again. And not only did he tell the type of death that he was going to die, which was a cross, he tells us what's going to happen after three days. That's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. What does this mean? Listen to Jesus himself. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to Mary, and hear his words, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he, say it with me, live. John 16 says it this way. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I'm here to tell you this morning, we don't serve a dead God, we serve a living God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this God that we serve has come this morning and has sealed the deal, defeating our greatest enemy. And he's here this morning to show you one powerful thing. He has overcome this world that we're living in today. Did you hear the spiritual crack? Did you feel something give away whenever we talk about him rising again? It was the sound of humanity's stuff with all of its burdens hitting the ground.
If the cross was God paying for all the cost of man's sins and man's burdens, then the resurrection is God overcoming the entire way of the knowledge of good and evil. He's in the process today of reversing things and taking and putting them back the way that they were. And that day's coming. Listen, we're not through yet. God has already begun to redeem mankind. Anybody say, I'm a recipient of that today? But let me take it one step further as we see in Romans, look at it with me, chapter 8, against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What does this mean? This world is going to be returned back to the way that God originally intended. In a sense, in God's way, in his perfect time, we're going back to the, to the original intention of mankind. How many of you know that the king is going to return someday soon? Come on. And in coming back, he's going to reverse the order of things. The lion's going to be laying down with the lamb. We see that we're not going to be worried about snakes anymore. Come on. Somebody help me this morning. And we recognize that God is going to set things right. It's going to be a world free of burdens. You say, how do you know this? Listen to what the word of God tells us before I give you my last thought today. Revelation says, and he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. There it is. Which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. This gives us some insight into this tree. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more. Oh, come on. Somebody help me this morning. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What a tree. What a way of life that God is bringing us back to. But allow me to pause for just a moment this morning and bring you back to this Sunday. So we come to the end of our journey today, to this room, to where we are sitting right now, and to life as it's happening with us and all of its happenings. Thirdly, this morning, God's desire today is to give each of us rest from our burdens. Today. We don't have to just wait for the future. And what's been done in the past is already for us to begin to be involved in and a part of today. Return with me back to Christ speaking to those people in the book of Matthew for just a moment, if you would. He comes to them and he gives them this invitation. Come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, And I will give. That means today. That means right now. That meant back there 2,000 years ago. And it's still just as true today as it was then. He said, I will give you rest. We know where humanity has come from. We know what God has done. We know where it's going. We know what he's going to do. But God's declaring this today. 
Because of the victory at the cross, I have come today to bear the weight of your stuff. Come to me. Now, real quickly, let me paint this picture. How does this work? How does God give us rest from our burdens right now, today? How can we begin to experience the way of the tree of life today, right now? God shows us three simple things that we need to do, and here they are. First one is this. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, that's a funny term. We don't go around saying, hey, you got a yoke? We don't go around talking to people with that term today. Hey, can I have a yoke? I want to partner with you. Can we yoke up? No, but we see that what this means, it refers to that oxen's yoke. The yoke was a wooden collar-like instrument. It's placed on the neck and shoulders of the oxen. It was used for tying the ropes of a plow to the oxen or for tying whatever load he had to pull. The yoke refers to a man's life and his stuff every day. And Christ comes along and he says, take my yoke upon you. And he says, learn from me. That's the second thing. Now, we all know that a yoke is usually shared between two animals. It could be two oxen, two horses, whatever the case may be. And instead of one animal experiencing all the burden, the burden is shared. And in our case, Christ has already bore the weight or the brunt of all our stuff. Sin has already been defeated. Do you believe that this morning? Sickness and disease have already been defeated. We know that they're still on this earth because we have physical bodies that are still affected by that. But here's the reality. God has already won the victory. We can experience the fullness of his victory one day at a time every day. Now I want to ask you a question. Why should any of us be connected to the cross? Why should any of us be connected to Christ? Listen to me carefully. The yoke that he offers is his way of doing things, his methods. How many of you have found that God does things different than we do? Hmm? How many of you have ever found that when we do things on our own, that's when things get into trouble? Amen? How many of you have ever made a mess? I heard that out there. Somebody said, not me. (laughs) Can I tell you that every time that I try to put my hands in the middle of whatever it is that's going on and do things my way, that's usually when I mess it up. Can anybody else identify with that? But his ways are revolutionary. The world doesn't think like God thinks. When God is in control, we see that his ways are the opposite of what we're used to. When the Savior tells us to learn from him, he's telling us that his ways are useful. They're good. They're gracious. They're proven. They're easy to bear. How? Listen to me carefully. When we follow God in his ways, it works 100% of the time all the time. We don't have to stress. We don't have to worry. We don't have to have it all figured out. Are you with me this morning? 
We simply need to learn to lean upon our yoke, the yoke that is connected to him, his way of doing things. He bears the weight. He bears the pressure. He produces the answers. We simply seek and listen and follow. Somebody say those words with me. Seek, listen, follow. How many of you have ever been in a spot where you didn't know what to do? Let me see the hands this morning. Keep them up. Take a look around. How many of you know that's all of us? We've all had those moments when we could say this, I don't know what to do. Can I tell you that it's in those moments and every moment that we can turn our faces to God and we can simply say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm asking you to show me what to do. Come on. Does that work? Yes, it does. He produces answers. He shows us the way. How do we experience the rest? By spending time in his presence. Learning from him. We learn to live and labor through each day under his leadership, his direction, his guidance, his care. What happens? Our life becomes lighter. I'm not saying that problems don't go away. How many of you know that would be foolish for me to say? But what I am saying is that when we face problems, we know that he's got it under his control. In other words, here's what I'm telling you. Lordship. You see, we're a culture and we're a society and we're a people that when it comes to that word lordship, we get this picture of somebody else being in control and somebody else being in control absolutely scares us to death or at least bothers us because some of you would say with an uplifted hand and I got mine up first, I like being in control. I like to know where the car's going down the road, come on. We know that God sometimes doesn't tell us where the car is going, but with lordship means this. He's the one that is in control. And whatever happens, good or bad, how many of you know it's on him? Come on now. Now what that does is that lifts the pressure off of our lives. We can simply say this. My life is not my own anymore, God. My life is yours. Lordship not only means the one leading, but it also means the one ultimately carrying the responsibility for providing. Here's the thing that I want to leave you with. His name is on your life. And God will not allow his name to be defamed in any way. With him in charge, we can rest in his leading. And you say, what does that look like? Let me quickly paint the picture. Philippians chapter 4 says this. Don't worry about anything. Now, how many of you say, that sounds good? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's, say it out loud, peace. That's that rest which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. There it is. Now, some of you this morning, I believe right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you're going this. That's what I have been looking for. 
That answers so much for me right now in dealing with life and in dealing with stuff. How do I cope? How do I get through? God's saying, lean on me. Pray about everything. And you will find the peace that I bring that passes all understanding. You will find yourself at times going, you know what, I really should be upset right now, but (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I'm all right with this. Somebody would say, you're just weird. No, that's the peace of God that passes all understanding. Christ says, if you do this, today you can find the way of the tree of life. You can find rest. Close with this story this morning. Heidi Baker in her book called From Servant to Son, From Orphan to Heir. A missionary to Mozambique tells a story about a child named Ramadan who had come to live in their children's village. And when he first arrived, he would run around, and we see that Ramadan would bite and kick people, looking miserable all the time. Ramadan had experienced great pain in his early childhood. He had never known love, and he was an orphan. There was so much shame and sadness in his life that he would not look anyone in the eye. Perhaps you've met someone like that. Ramadan did not believe that he had access to his new family and his new home. Like some of the children, Ramadan could not comprehend what a refrigerator was because he had never seen one before. He would not dare move towards the fridge, and he had never had a Coke in his life. Can you imagine that? Heidi took Ramadan by the hand and led him and told him, that fridge has a Coke in it. You can go and you can get that Coke whenever you want it. At bedtime, she would tuck him in at night and she would tell him, that fridge has a Coke in it. You can go get it whenever you want it. And she would look at him and she would say, and I will love you always. Come on, are you with me this morning? And God started working and transforming little Ramadan's heart. Finally, one day, Ramadan walked up to the fridge. He took the Coke. Heidi recounts that the first time he opened the fridge door and realized that it was his, the largest grin of his life began to cross his face as he realized it's really true. It's really real. For the first time in his life, I was a little nervous opening this up. But for the first time in his life, y'all just wait on me. I bet you wish you had some. He experiences a Coke for the very first time. He realizes that it's real. And it's his. And life begins to change. How many of you know we've all experienced the hardship of the stuff of this life? Much like an orphan. And God has come along as we've learned this morning and he has provided a better way of life. The path of the tree of life. He went to a third tree so that we could come back to the first one. And he's ready to yoke the burden of life with you. 
How many of you know we have to reach up and we have to open the door? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. You'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. First Peter says this. Give all your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him. For he affectionately cares.